0: Welcome to Rework, a podcast by Basecamp about the better way to work and run your business. I'm your host, Sean Hildner, and let's get right into it. As always, I am joined by Basecamp's co-founders and the authors of Rework, Jason Fried. How are you? Good, Sean. How are you? Good. And David Heinemeier Hansen, how are you? I'm good. Good, good. This week, we're talking about building half a product, not a half-assed product. You know, there's going to be a few episodes coming up that are sort of about deciding what is necessary As you begin to build a product, what was missing from Basecamp on release?
1: So the initial version of Basecamp, which we launched in February of 2004, didn't have a way to share files, if I recall. And actually, to-dos were a latecomer, I think, to the product. (laughs) We didn't have to-dos for a long time. We had um, like bullet points and messages, I think, Uh originally, something like that. It didn't have a calendar. It didn't have automatic check-ins it didn't have uh, a whole bunch of other details and tools and small little things. I'm, I'm now I'm just kind of like, it didn't have color coding on documents. It didn't have folders. It didn't have, we didn't even have a docs and files section. We had this idea of a files thing eventually, but you had to link things up from external sources and you couldn't create your own document. Then we added write later on, which was like a collaborative writing environment thing. I mean, it's probably a fraction of what it has now, but the core is, Fundamentally the same, which is project management's about communication, not just about charts and graphs and reports. So Basecamp has added charts and graphs and reports over time, but most of those are actually for communication, less so than just like something to ogle at. So anyway, David, you may have some other thoughts about things it didn't have, but those are some quick off the cuff remembrances.
2: Yeah, I think there's just a million things that didn't have on the technical side of things, the resilience, the backups. We launched everything on a single server that was hosted. (laughs) I was about to say in the closet of some company, it wasn't quite the closet, but it was this local Chicago company called Tilted, where we just from the get-go, and remember the pricing, it was $2.49 a month. That was the first (laughs) server we launched on. And like we had the one box and the database ran on that box, the web server ran on that box, the everything ran on that box. And it was wonderful. It really was. There's so much bliss about that enforced simplicity because like, well, we couldn't do anything else. The kind of technical infrastructure we have today, uh, there's no way we could have run that then with the people we had. So we went with something much simpler. And do you know what? It was fine. It was not only fine, it was great. And I think this is one of the things that is often forgotten today that people think they need to start with the whole honking, big machinery, duplicate everything, whatever. That single box did not just serve us for launch. It served us for, I think, a year and a half, a year and a half before we needed more. And by that year and a half, we had thousands of customers. Mm -hmm. This is why I sometimes get frustrated with people who are starting today, because they have this notion that, like, as soon as we get out the gate, we're already have to be ready for that mega scale right when do you know what if you were just focusing on on half the stuff on the technical side on the design side on the product side and just building out those and running with scissors a little bit right like doing all the things that don't scale in terms of how you reach out to customers in terms of how you build your setup you'd have time to focus on the essentials on the epicenter as we used to talk a bunch about oh well, we'll talk about it next week in fact and and that's just it's better and and this is why i think i have such fond memories of that because that's the most fun part uh-huh. like the epicenter it has more of the stuff that engages your creativity in a way where you just go like holy shit work is amazing because there isn't capacity to do anything else you don't feel bad about it like right now for example it just came off a call with another couple of people at Basecamp. And we are just talking about all the things that we feel slightly bad about not doing because at our scale, aren't we supposed to? Right. Those conversations never happened. Literally for years, we had no conversations about feeling bad about all the things that you could have, should have, maybe kind of ought to do because it just doesn't come up. And I think that that is just that moment of bliss. And we talked a little bit about that in some of the earlier episodes where, You need to, well, don't need to, but you should embrace that early uh, phase with just such a bliss that this is not like, oh, it's like so bad. We don't have all these things It's like, oh, isn't it great? We don't have anyone to do that. So we don't feel bad about not doing it. Yeah, um, We've talked about this a bunch lately as we've been growing the company more and marveled over the fact that we could go for 20 years and process hundreds of millions of dollars without having anyone on accounting. And now at this stage, like that's not prudent, right? Like in fact, that's kind of reckless. <laughs> but it also was totally fine for a very, very long time. And not only was it fine, it was better.
0: It's 20 years later, you build a new product, Hay. How, in, in what ways is Hay half a product? What is missing from from that? You didn't have the same constraints as you did when building Basecamp.
2: Yes, we did, actually, in mm. part, if I may just intercede. Yeah, Because please. the magic here, at least in my opinion, and why it's so fun, why I had such a great time with us building Hay, was it had exactly those constraints. When we started on Hay, it was Jason, me, And Jonas, I think, were three people basically starting up a brand new product. And we ran really far before we started involving the rest of the company. There was absolutely a B1 within more or less three people, plus minus a little bit of help here and there. And then before we went to launch, we did sort of apply the whole thing, right? But we got to define the core of what it was with the constraint of three people working on it, which incidentally, was exactly the magic number we used for Basecamp B1 as well. There was Jason, and it was Ryan, and it was me, and then we had Matt who sort of mostly did other things. So in terms of who worked on the product and defined what it was, the magic number was three, and we kept it like that. Now, it ended up getting more, but maybe Jason can talk about, it. we still launched with a bunch of things. You're like, what? An email product didn't have
1: that? Yeah, I mean, like one big one, of course, is, is the calendar. We don't have a calendar in Hay yet. Something we would like to do. Um, A lot of people would assume that calendaring and email are different, but they're really pretty tightly integrated. So we don't have that. Um, I was just pulling up my notes. I've got a a notes document here of all the ideas that I'd like to see us do. And it's quite long and none of these things are in the product right now. But um, we didn't have uh, signatures when we launched. I mean, like, for example, search, which is something we're working on this cycle. We don't really have advanced search or refining a search. It's just like you can search and that's it. Mm -hmm. And it's time to finally allow that. We
2: didn't email imports.
1: Right. Yeah. We can't we can't pull email in from other services. For a while, we didn't let you even just like drag addresses between the two and CC field, things like that. I don't think initially we allowed you to have multiple email addresses per person. We eventually added that so you could merge a lot of the fundamental things. In any product design, whenever you launch something, you have to figure out like what's worth doing, which is the whole point of this chapter. Um, half, not half ass. And where where are your values and what what do you think is going to make a splash? So for example, there are some fundamentals we knew we had to have in Hay, but there's also a bunch of stuff we knew we could do later and it'd be more valuable to have something more novel initially. Right. Because if you're launching something brand new and bringing some new ideas to the market, you've got to sort of double down on the new part of it. You've got to have some table stakes in place. You've got to get some basic stuff right, obviously, but uh, you've got to bring a lot of novelty. And so we focused on that for the initial version. Then we've been sort of backfilling some of the fundamentals that we didn't have. And then also continuing on the novelty, because if you stop in the novelty, you kind of lose steam. So for, for example, we launched something called Cover Art uh, last year, which is a very novel idea. Um, which is a novelty on top of a novelty because in hey, we have this idea of previously seen emails which show up below your unreads. And some people didn't want to see things they already had seen, but they want them close by. So we had this idea instead of hiding it, we could cover it with a piece of art, like a desktop pattern. And so that novelty was only possible because we had this other novelty called previously seen. So we keep layering that on, but we still backfill on the on the basics. That was sort of our calculus for hey, um knowing that there's stuff that's in, that's missing that people are going to want but we're okay with that because we want to give them other things that they didn't even know they needed in either product have have there been any ideas that you thought you know what let's
0: save this for v2 or this is something I'd like to add later and then later comes and you think oh this wasn't a really that good of idea anyway or maybe the product went in a different direction
1: are there any of uh, examples of those it's typically you know what it typically is is like this sort of advanced version of something so I'll give you an example, like cover art, cover art. We ship with, uh, I mean, your account, I think has, is it like six or nine pre-designed things and you can upload, you know, your own custom one and you kind of want to be able to save the things that you've uploaded. So you can kind of switch between things, but we don't have that. Or like, you know, later on, it's always like, yeah, later we can, is what we usually say, like, or V, we call it like v 11 in our head is sort of v 11 meaning like the version after the initial release. We could backfill it and make it possible to save previous things you've uploaded or to randomize the display, which we don't do, or to bring in more uh, dynamic versions of this. So if you could just subscribe to a monthly updated cover art that just shows up every month, there's all these things you can do. And if you just keep going down that path, you'll never ship the thing because you can keep adding more things. So at some point you draw a line, you go, this is enough. This is this is the core idea here. And then V11, which again is our internal lingo, we can add more stuff. Many of those things we don't add. So we haven't added a single thing to cover it. We've talked about it, but we haven't found it valuable enough yet to get back to that, mm-hmm. to do those things. That's just one little corner of the product. And there's probably many more. David maybe has other examples. but This is the
2: magic of ShapeUp's six-week budgets, mm. that they force you to pick those things. And then we played this mind trick on ourselves, which is that we keep coming up with these good ideas and say like, yeah, yeah, we'll do them later. And like, we know it's not going to happen later. Or at least there's a <laughs> 95% chance it's not going to happen later. But just the V1-1 concept allows you to feel psychologically okay with the fact that you're leaving things out because you have to leave things out in a six-week cycle. And that's how you end up with half or a quarter or an eighth or 12th because you have this explosion of ideas. And this is what everyone gets sucked into because it's so intoxicating. Like, oh, what if it could also do this? And then it could also do this. And then it could also do this. We talk about this in so many ways that software is so malleable and it's not physical and it can just sprout all these branches. And that's fun. And you should indulge in that because that is part of the creativity and interestingness of making something out of nothing. But you need these constraints because... As we talk about so often, if we didn't have these constraints, we would build the same bloated shit as everyone else. Right. Like you need these constraints. You need to have fewer people than you'd ideally want. You need to have less time than you ideally want. It's the tension from the constraints that produces something great. Now, that's the how you make a kick-ass. Well, that's how you make a half. I think the kick-ass part is almost as important. I was just talking to someone else who was – telling me about a uh, new thing that they were working on. And one of the things he was like, oh, it did this and it did that and it did this. And then he was talking about like, yeah, but some screens also takes 10 seconds to load and some of it, <laughs> it kind of fails to send. And I went like, yeah, that's not a kick-ass half. Right. That's just, well, first of all, it's not even half. But even if it was half, it's certainly not kick-ass that the commitment we make is we ship good stuff. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but it's high quality. And we let that be part of the constraints. It's like, you don't just get six weeks to cram in all the shit you could possibly imagine by running with scissors and sort of tripping over it and just making a mess of it. No, it has to be good. And the back of the cabinet has to be good too. You don't get to make a mess that someone else has to clean up later. Or not even clean up, but just look at. Yeah. I open up the code bases we work on all the time. And then I smile most of the time. And then occasionally <laughs> I'll spot one corner of it where I go like, eh, I kind of wish we didn't, right? right? But generally we hold the line on quality, not to the point of perfection, because that's just going to be its own rabbit hole, but to the point of like, this is quality stuff. And it's quality stuff in ways that customers won't even appreciate, but we will appreciate that this is the yin and yang of it, right? It, that you make half, but you make it good. hmm if you just make half and it's also shit, then what's the point? I mean, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. Am I right in assuming that it is much harder to
0: make these cuts after the fact? When is the right time to decide what what is going
1: into a product? How much of a half are you going to make? I mean, it it kind of almost happens to itself as long as you have a certain degree of discipline because you start with the simplest version of something. This is the epicenter thing, which I guess we'll talk about next episode, Th- this idea that what we're always trying to get to is what is the simplest version of this thing that we're going to build. And we start there and we only give ourselves a maximum of six weeks. So we just we can't. There are some features like one to five percent, let's say, that we, we know Probably closer to one than five percent that we know are two cycle features. Uh, okay, because they're just but but we build them six weeks at a time, so we don't build them in twelve weeks. We build them the simple version six weeks, and we kind of layer on more. You still take that cool down that break. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, and the second level is maybe completing the first level, but the first level could ship probably on its own, but we know it's not quite complete enough. But for the most part, the time limit and and our sort of own internal discipline to get something out there because that's what we want. We want to ship stuff. Right. Forces us to figure out what the simplest version is first. And then we can always layer on later if we need to. And sometimes like it's frustrating because you go, this isn't, this doesn't do as much as I'd like it to do, but it's better than what it doesn't do today, which is it doesn't do it at all. So we're better off getting that basic thing out that works. That's why you're not building a half ass thing, which is something that doesn't actually work. If it needs the second half to work, then it's half ass Right. That's the difference.
0: So how is this different than MVP, something both of you have railed against in previous episodes?
1: Well, the the MVP notion is like, you're not even building a full product. You're building the minimum viable thing to test. It's it's more about you build it to test. I I don't personally like the approach of building something to test. I think you build something to ship as your thing. I see. Because I think if you only have this tiny minimal core of something and you ask people what they think of it, I don't feel like they're really, they're, they don't have the whole thing to think through. Right. They don't have all the context. They don't have all the stuff. They just have this little small piece. And then you take that information and then you, you do something with it. But I think it's incomplete information. So my feeling is your 1.0, your, your initial version you launch is both minimal, it's viable, but it's also the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's not a slice of what the whole thing's going to become. Eventually, you add more and more and more, but it's not treated mentally as this thing that you're just sort of putting out there to see what happens. It's like, no, this is the thing.
2: Which I think if you apply that to the products that we build, you take Basecamp, for example. Basecamp, even for all our talk about half and less software and whatever, actually does kind of a few things. In fact, that is its purpose for being is that it's not just a to-do manager. It's not just a blog. It's not just a file repository. It is all of those things. And if we had started with an MVP of Basecamp, do you know what? Maybe we would just have done a blog or another to-do manager. And do you know what? There's just a trillion of those. And that's not interesting. Hey, same thing. The feature roadshow that we had on the website when we launched had like 22 pages, I think. It wasn't minimal in that sense. It was minimal in sense of like, hey, what are all the table stakes? We cut a bunch of table stakes, so to speak, away from it, but it still did a bunch of things. And you could have imagined that like, well, if we thought Hayes grand big idea was just the screener, an MVP of that would have been a plugin to Gmail that did the screener. I'm not interested in making a fucking plug into Gmail. <laughs> that doesn't have any interest for me at all, right? And I think this is where you can go overboard with the MVP thing. You make the one slice of it, and then you think whatever verdict comes back from the market is the verdict on the whole idea. Yeah. Well, no, because you know what? This is like taking one ingredient. Oh, I'm, I'm going to MVP an omelet. Oh, here's some eggs. Well, that doesn't really tell me whether you're going to like my omelet or not. Like we, we gotta, we gotta make the thing. There's some more ingredients here that are necessary for it. It's not just a fucking box of eggs. The MVP for me is, is, is too myopic in that sense and just not interesting. And we'd like to make these kinds of products that are sort of the mixture of all these things, right? That the, the magic comes from the mixture. That's not about we are the greatest at reordering to do's or the screener. And it's just that. And we polish that to the nth degree. No, our ideas, generally speaking, have come from like, hey, it does these things. And it's the combination of these things that makes it interesting.
0: Well, I think that's a a great place to stop. Uh, I want to talk more about scoping and how do we come up with this list of initial initial ideas for a product. But I think that's better for next week as we talk about finding the epicenter. Now, before we leave, let's take a question from one of our listeners. And this is from a listener named Mike who writes, Hi, just wondering uh, a question for Jason and David. Any plans to revive the Getting Real YouTube series of screencasts? I really enjoyed the raw nature of them, especially the code walkthrough. And just to sort of make this a slightly broader question, how important is education as as a product developer? How important is that to our marketing, writing the books, doing the podcast, things like that?
1: Dave and I've sort of been talking about this on and off about how we used to do more of this. um, And everyone seems to be interested in the behind the scenes stuff and that we should do more of that again. Um, We haven't formalized it or figure out exactly how to do it, but we've talked about some ideas. I'd like to do something this year around that. We were supposed to do it last year. We had this notion, this idea of, I think it was called Basecamp Insider or something. this, This podcast series and a series of shows about behind the scenes stuff. And I think, I think we'd be able to simplify the idea a little bit and down to one show. We had this idea of multiple shows and this whole thing, but I I think we should. So after this podcast, we'll, we'll talk about it some more and figure out what to do about it. As far as education, sorry, I forgot to like, it's it's always been huge for us. I mean, that's, and that's kind of why it feels like there's a bit of a void here because I think we used to share a lot more of that behind the scenes stuff. And I think part of it, if I can be honest about it, um, (laughs) it got a bit boring for us because it was saying the same things over and over. Yeah. But what's interesting is that there's a whole new generation of, we've been around long enough now that there's a whole new generation uh, of people who haven't heard any of these things. And we're starting to say some of these things in different places and people are surprised by what they're hearing because they haven't heard it before. So I think, I think at the time is right to, um, sort of kick that off again and get get behind the scenes and get back to some of the basics about some of the ways we think about things and work and approach things. And I think it is great marketing for us. It's probably the best we've ever had.
2: I think it also just becomes more interesting when you apply these lessons we've been talking about for two decades to whatever's new That's the funny thing about many of these things as we're doing in this podcast. We take ideas that were written 10, 20 years ago, and then we apply them to what we're thinking about right now. And it comes out differently. But that's, at least for me, what I need. I remember when we used to do the workshops, we did some workshops called Building a Base Camp. Mm -hmm. And I remember I could do about two repetitions, three at the most, where we would take the same material and just repeat it. Mm And then I'd be just bored out of my mind. I needed something else. And we would sort of mix it up and we would apply it to something else. So sometimes it's about finding that, an avenue where you can take these principles you have and apply them to something topical or present and go forward. For me, with the programming stuff, it is often about um, showing something new. So when we work on a new product of some kind, that's when I get fired up to show off what we've done. In a way where I'm sure I can keep mining Basecamp's code base forever for th- lessons to extract, but it's just so much easier if there's something new to do it with. And that's the same thing with the open source. Hey was just an explosion of sharing when it came to the code. And how we built things on that end because it required new solutions. So I think as we start diving back into new ideas and making new things in a variety of ways, we have a bunch of things we want to explore. There'll be more of that naturally just bubbling out. Perfect. Thank you, Mike. If you have
0: any questions for Jason or David, you can leave us a voicemail at 708-628-7850 or better yet, record a voice memo on your phone and email it to hello at rework.fm. And that's the show. I want to say thank you to David Heidemeyer Hansen. Thanks,
1: Sean. And thank you for joining me, Jason Fried. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's what everyone always says on podcasts. Thanks for having me on.
0: Rework is a production of Basecamp. Our theme music is by Clipart. We're on the web at rework.fm where you can find show notes and transcripts for this and every episode of Rework. We're also on Twitter at Rework Podcast. If you're following along in the book, next week we'll be discussing the chapter Start at the Epicenter. And if you like the show, I'd really appreciate it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you're listening to this.